and as we talked about earlier, is hope. And Isaac must be, oh, he's almost, are you almost done? Is this the wrap-up? Usually he's done by second service, so it's kind of fun to have, have the second service, get to see Isaac over here painting. And um, we're writing, he's writing artist statements, and there's statements for each of these paintings that we hope we'll have up in the next week or so. Um, but our hope is the theme this week. And what I want to talk specifically about in this message is to focus on putting our hopes in Jesus' story, in, in Jesus' way, in Jesus' kingdom. I want to talk about hope in that way. Because we human beings, we are hopers, are we not? <laughs> like we get our hopes um, up for a lot of different things. Hope, uh, hope's why people get married. Hope is why people have children. Hope is why they then send those children to college. <laughs> um, hope is why people buy ab machines. Um, obviously, I did not get that on my Christmas list last year, so uh, still up for grabs on that one. Um, hope, it's why people pay for makeovers and read self-help books and go to counselors and play the stock market. Hope is why people go on blind dates, right? Which is sort of the same thing, isn't it? Blind date, stock market, or is it more like blind date is more equal to the lottery? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, lottery, a little more lottery, okay. Says the lady who went on a blind date and is now married. Okay, okay, this is good, right? Right, that's good. Um, hope, hope is why uh, little kids go nuts on Christmas morning, right? Hope is why we read the Bible and anticipating what is to come. That's why we're here this morning. See, we hope and we have hopes. But the question that I want to focus on is what are you putting your hopes in? Because we all put our hopes in something and we have to choose carefully what it'll be. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, the human spirit can survive just about anything, but it cannot survive the loss of hope. I read this week about um, these experiments or one experiment that the Nazis did with victims in a concentration camp. And one of the experiments that they did was to assign people to meaningless work. So they would, would have these uh, prisoners shift mounds of dirt from one place to another and then to another and then to another until it was apparent that there was no purpose behind it. And one of the things they found was that people actually died at a faster rate than just by being in the concentration camp alone. See, people died when there was a loss of hope and there was a sense of meaninglessness. And hope deferred, again, makes the heart sick. So let me ask you the question, in what story are you putting your ultimate hope? Because we, we live in a world where there's lots of different stories, lots of different kingdoms. There's, there's all these strategies that promise to fill our hopes, but all of them fall short. They look powerful. They look impressive. And these other stories might even look promising, but in the end, it's just shifting one mound of dirt from one place to another and to another and to another and it's that reason that when people do climb to the top and achieve what they thought was going to be greatness, they climb to the top of the ladder and then they learn that they've leaned their ladder up against the wrong wall because it's the wrong story. It's putting hope in something that can't deliver. Well, 2,000 years ago, um, the people of God 
the time of the birth of Christ, uh, they had their hopes up. There was a cry of Advent, and their hope was that there was going to be a Messiah. Things were pretty bleak in their country and for their people, and they hoped for a God who would deliver them. And if you, if you read the Old Testament prophets, they were looking for God to come down to do a big, amazing thing. Uh, Isaiah is just one of many places, and it says, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known among your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. They're saying, just rend the heavens, tear it apart, come down in glory and power, make the mountains tremble and the nations quake. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they waited in hope for their redemption from their oppressors. And our Advent story, the story of Advent is about waiting. It's about waiting in hope. But the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they described what they were waiting for, and, and the people of God then had kind of a, a way that they had begun to see, and a way of waiting, and a way of having hope that fit a certain kind of perspective. It was the kind of waiting that was sure that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to put us back on top, get us out from under these oppressors. We're going to be number one again. We're going to be great again. The story, as they understood it, was that the Messiah was going to come and give them that. See, that's what they were hoping for. They, they were hoping in a particular storyline, and they were certain this storyline was going to happen. They couldn't see it any other way. They were so sure, so that when Jesus, the Messiah, actually did show up, Jesus, the hope of all the earth, he shows up, and most of them, because of what they were looking for, missed him missed it. Now, oftentimes we um, take a story from Scripture, but it's hard to really get the context of the story. Like, we don't always know where it fits into the context of the larger story. Um, it's sort of like the whole Star Wars saga, right? Like, there's three different sets of trilogies. Uh, there's the original Star Wars, followed by The Empire Strikes Back, followed by... I'm like, yes, Return of the Jedi, that whole set, right? So that was the first trilogy. Um, but then there was another set of movies that didn't tell, like, the next chronological sequence. Um, it turns out that it was the prequel, right? There's a whole prequel set, episodes of what happened before these other stories happened that we'd already come to love and they were all connected, and, and once you saw them, once you saw all the movies and even one more of the movies, it helped to make sense of the larger story of what was going on. And then later they delved into the next set of the trilogy on the other side of it, and the sequel happened, and there was this whole history of the Star Wars stories. Anybody remember when the original Star Wars came out in 1977? Right? Yeah, the only place you could watch it was in the theater. Um, who, who actually here went to see the movie in the theater? Oh, we are old, aren't we? Yeah, so, yeah, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, it was the first one, you know? I mean, all the kids are like, the original Star Wars was in a theater? What? I don't know. Yeah, 
It was. It was. Now, for decades, or probably not even decades, but for a long time after um, that first Star Wars came out, uh, we called that first movie Star Wars. It wasn't until more episodes came out that we found that that episode, the original one, was actually called A New Hope. A New Hope. And it was actually the fourth episode in the story. The fourth episode. We didn't know. We just were watching this amazing story. Now, my friend Dave Johnson, uh, he was talking about this. Dave's um, <clears throat> interesting and, and a little odd sometimes. I love him. Uh, he talked about how this whole Star Wars thing reminded him of Advent. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he, he was right, though. He said, think about this. For some people, the Advent story is the first and the only part of the story that some have ever heard. It's their only introduction to the gospel. It's the only part of the gospel that they knew. And, and it might have drawn you in, that Christmas story, to following Jesus. It might have gotten you curious about, oh, well, what's the beginning of the story? What happened before that, that that led to Jesus, that led to the story of Advent and Christmas and a baby? Like, we love that Christmas story, don't we? We love that story. People love it. People love that story. My, my wife, Heidi, she didn't become a follower of Jesus until she was in her 30s. So she's been a Christian for six months, right? Um, <clears throat> your daughter's 30, so yeah, that's a little bit of a clue. But, um, but uh, when she grew up, even as a family that, um, where she wasn't a believer, uh, she said that her family loved the Christmas story. They loved Christmas Eve. They loved hearing the story of the baby Jesus. But it was a long time before she got seriously interested about where the rest of the story was going, which is true for a lot of folks. And maybe for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe the story of Christmas is what got you wondering about the prequel. And then maybe got you interested in the sequels and, and where that part of the story was going. And then the story became real to you. Then it became alive. And then it changed your life. <laughs> and once you started following Jesus, eventually you saw that wow, you have a role in this story. It's, it's not like a movie that you just sit back and watch or enjoy. There's a part for you, a role for you to play in the story. But the truth is, for most people in the world, um, they've only heard the Christmas story, the Advent part of the story. It's all they've ever heard. They might hear it and say, yeah, this is a cute story. It's the Christmas story. Yeah, it's a feel-good story. It's Christmas cheer and Christmas cards and Christmas carols and Christmas trees and Christmas presents and Christmas parties and Christmas vacation. Yeah, pretty good, right? Um, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, have fun with that. Enjoy the season. But, 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 but just know that, like, just remember that stuff is not the core of the actual story. And we get that when we start reading a little broader than just that story to the prequel to the story of Advent in the Old Testament up to the beginning of the Gospels, and, and, and we really get a picture of it when we read the sequels and see what's coming in the larger story, and that's when I think we really start to get it, the impact of this Christmas story. In fact, sometimes I think um, in some churches, and sometimes um, we pastors are the ones that are guilty, we frame this Advent Christmas story in a way that oftentimes it misses the real drama of what's going on, right? I'll lay in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Sounds sweet, right? It sounds all kind, but the truth is the reality, <clears throat> the reality of Christmas and the coming of Jesus the first time, part of that story is absolutely terrifying, right? There was real treachery, danger, evil, 
sometime this, this week, read Revelation 12 and get kind of the supernatural uh, spiritual warfare version of what happened with behind the scenes, right? There's a dragon, and there's a woman running, and the dragon's chasing her, and this is the Christmas story from behind the scenes, because there was more going on than cows, you know, moo, and sheep, and and things stink, right? There's more going on than a little baby in a cute little manger. Um, And it makes sense when you think about the overarching story. The overarching, bigger, larger story over the arc of human history. See, Advent is the make-or-break episode in the entire story. Like there are things that needed to happen in the coming of Jesus that if those things didn't happen, then the entire story would have fallen apart. The coming of Jesus was a rescue mission, a part of the story of hope that had begun a long time before that. So, for the rest of our time this morning, let me tell you the story, the larger story that we are caught up in, and I'll tell you an abridged version But I want to shed light on this story, this larger story that began a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) And the place we're going to start is in the beginning, which is another way of saying once upon a time, in the beginning, which is not the in the beginning of Genesis 1-1, not yet. That's not where the story starts. John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God way back in eternity past, comes before Genesis where there is just God. This episode here happens before God creates the universe and the planets and earth and humankind. Once upon a time in the beginning there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, purely love. And sometime in this episode, they decide to create angels. And angels are powerful cosmic beings. I mean, we see these fat little chubby, you know, angels shooting an arrow, sitting on a cloud, and yeah, wearing a diaper. It's just, that's not an angel, okay? Um, That's not an angel. Angels were fearsome creatures. Anytime someone encountered an angel in Scripture, what was their reaction? A human would see an angel, and what would they do? Bam, yeah. They'd fall down on the ground and be like, don't kill me, right? It was... (laughs) They were fearsome. They were fearsome creatures, which tells us something, by the way, about this universe that we live in, these powerful beings. And sometime in this episode, there was war in heaven. And Lucifer, one of God's most powerful angels, somehow convinces a third of the other angels to revolt, and they betray the heart of God, this God who created and empowered them. Now, that rebellion gets crushed, but out of that episode, evil has now entered into the story. You know, do you ever ever wonder why all of these great and epic stories that you love, why why they have a villain? You know, like Darth Vader, uh, Wicked Witch of the West, um, Sauron in Lord of the Rings, Voldemort, Commodus in Gladiator, in Braveheart, there's Edward Longshanks. See, all these great and epic stories that move our hearts, they have a villain. Do you know why? Because yours does, too. Your story has a villain. Now, that's not the primary point of the story, but it is a factor in the story. And when we ignore that reality, we can get real confused about the things that happen in our life and in our world. 
Like, like when evil or sickness come, we can then somehow blame that stuff on God. Right? You get sick, someone you love dies, you lose your job, or your depression just won't go away. And we go, why did God do this to me? Rather than remembering that there is evil in our fallen world, and that God doesn't bring evil upon you. No, no, your life and your story have an enemy. And it's been that way since before our planet even came into being. Now, we'll move to the next episode, but, but God is love, and God has always been love. And in the next episode, out of love, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, love does what love does. It creates. Creates our universe. Creates the world. Creates people. And remember, this is a love story. God creates our world, and he calls it good. And in this episode, this story of Adam and Eve appears, and there is intimacy and beauty with God, and it's amazing. They walk with him. And it's a love story, right? It is a love story, to be sure. But, but again, we dare not forget that it is also set against the backdrop of a fierce and cosmic battle between good and evil. So, so in this love story, the enemy comes, plants a temptation, and we take the bait. Adam and Eve did what we have been doing ever since. They started hiding from God and from each other. Adam, where are you? Eve, where, where are you? And this is the second great betrayal of the heart of God. But even in the moment of this fall of humankind, God plants seeds of hope. All is not lost. Rescue is coming. I mean, even in the curse after the fall, even in that, God promises that one day there will be one who comes to crush the head of the serpent, the enemy. And that's seen as a messianic prophecy. But, but this fall of humankind, that plot trip twist, that plot twist changed the entire direction of the entire story. The story now became about the rescue and redemption of humankind, about this creator God and his relentless pursuit of that which was lost, his relentless desire to reconcile all things and all people to himself, to, to quite literally rescue the whole human race. The whole human race, which is a pretty big story. And like every epic story that touches our hearts, um, this story hits on universal themes of life and death and good and evil and hope and despair of deeds of courage and exploits of bravery and acts of betrayal. There's the making of friends and fellowships and the grieving of death, the shadow of despair. And there's the power of hope. And unlikely heroes, unlikely heroes, all the way from the beginning of the story through the end of the story, unlikely characters who step up and impact the story like they and we never imagined that they could. If you look at the great stories, these epic stories that we've grown up on, that same theme runs through those stories, right? Unlikely heroes, right? So we got Luke Skywalker facing the evil empire. Or Frodo and Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. Like, like Neo in The Matrix. Or a young girl 
named Mary. Mary. Like, how unlikely and insignificant can you get? Like, Mary, teenage, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, and she's going to stand against the Roman Empire? <laughs> what? All of these characters, though, ordinary, unremarkable, unlikely heroes from unlikely places, but all of them and all of that is a part of the whole story from beginning to end. And it's also a crucial piece of this Advent story where this teenage girl, Mary from this backwater, insignificant town of Nazareth, is entrusted with as it were, the gold ring or a secret weapon that will save the day, that will vanquish the dark, that will restore the hope of all humankind. You know, we can hear this and go, seriously? Like the angels probably were talking about this. Like, seriously? Did, did we hear that right? Mary's going to be a main character? She's going to be a hero? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Just, 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 just hang on. Because you got to watch the whole story. You know, unlikely heroes have been a part of the story from the beginning of the human story. In Genesis, God called Abraham from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, Ur. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, everybody knows where Ur is. No, <laughs> no, no, probably not. Uh, insignificant, unremarkable. There was nothing remarkable about that place or about Abraham. He was no superstar, but God called a nobody out of nowhere to engage in his mission to bring hope to the world. But today we'd even call it uh, mission impossible. But God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, <laughs> I have called you to rescue the whole human race through your line. You will be Blessed and be a blessing to all nations, to all peoples. And it's through your line that my hope and rescue for this world will come. We keep reading through Genesis and the story bounces along into Exodus and Moses. Moses who God called out of an obscure backwoods hideout. But God salvages Moses out of the Midian desert to stand up before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, telling him, let my people go. But Moses could not have been more unimpressive in real life when God chose and called him. And we keep reading the story, and there's so many characters. There's, there's Rahab, there's, there's the rest of the Hebrews 11 summary of the uh, so-called Hall of Fame, where it says, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. We hear those names, and in today's storytelling, we would say of them, they're, yeah, take a look at them. They're, they're kind of like hobbits, right? They're small, unlikely, afraid, maybe not the brightest or the deepest. There's nothing remarkable about them at the beginning of their story. They just come from ordinary, out-of-the-way places. Characters like, like David. David, who... who the Messiah would come through his line one day, but David, in the beginning, he's a shepherd boy. He's taking care of his sheep out in his father's fields. He's so unremarkable that the people closest to him, his brother and his father, they could see nothing special about him, overlooked, ignored. He didn't fit in. He was the last person to be a carrier of any kind of hope. He was the last guy that you would pick for the team. 
But this is another recurring theme in this overarching story of God, this, this story of hope. Characters like Abraham, Moses, David, Gideon, Samson, and so many more. See, the truth is God does really significant things through really insignificant people, through ordinary people, unremarkable people. But time and time again, when we read the story, those are the characters in the story through whom God brings hope. And the people around them, back then, same as today, too often, they knew something needed to happen. They needed a way out. They needed some help. And so they were looking for, like, the big thing to happen, right? We hope, our hope is for this big dramatic outcome, for this obvious hero to show up, someone, someone who's out there, We'll finally come in here and save the day. But God uses a character who's right here. Like, like David, this shepherd boy, he's right here. It's like he's hidden in plain sight. And the reason that we miss this hidden in plain sight thing is that too often we're looking out there for the big thing. But Jesus pointed this out when he was teaching um, he would say to the people of Israel, especially the religious leaders, he would say, listen, guys, you missed the real thing. You're waiting for this visitation, but the visitation is right here in front of you because you keep hoping for this big, impressive thing. And, and hey, I, I get it. Like, their problems back then, like our problems, but their problems were really big. <laughs> and so we think we need this big, dramatic solution to put our hope in someone or something dramatic and impressive, and so we miss out on the thing that we need. We overlook what's already right there in front of us. We keep looking out there, far away, putting our hopes in the future, in some future outcomes. And when we do that, we put our hopes in the wrong thing. I mean, it's amazing. You read all through Scripture, and, and people are looking for this answer that's way out there, and God's saying, no, 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 it's, it's right here. I'm going to use the person that you least expect, the person that you don't even notice or see. Kind of like a hobbit. <laughs> or the person who's like you. Or the person who's like me. Or the person like Abraham or Moses, David, Mary. And all through the story in that episode... <laughs> God uses these remarkable, unremarkable people just like he does today, and he made them remarkable. They really, truly are heroes. They are bringers of hope. But in that story up until the coming of Christ, as heroic and brave and amazing as all these characters and heroes were, the truth is, while they could help their people save the day or a season, none of them could remedy what had happened in the garden None of them could restore what needed to be restored in our world. And while each of them had incredible impact, the people of God, uh, they always eventually went back off track. I mean, it's amazing. You read the Old Testament. Like, God keeps showing up with rescue after rescue, redeeming, restoring, rebuilding. But the people of God would forget who they were. They, they eventually, at some point, they forgot who they were. They forgot who God was. They forgot the story. They forgot that they had been called by God and who they'd been called by God to be in this world. They forgot the role that they were supposed to have played. And so one day, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4 calls it 
He says, in the fullness of time, that's when we come to this Advent, this Christmas part of the story. This new episode, which is essentially a second trilogy, which is the only part of the story that some people know. A new hope. A new hope. God decides to write himself into the story to come as the hero in human flesh, the hope of all the earth, hope incarnate. And in this Advent episode, as it unfolds, the whole human race, just picture it, they are at the end of their rope. All you can see is dark, which is how Advent begins, not on this note of joy we get there at Christmas, but with this acknowledgement that we need the light of the world to come into this dark place to make things right, to bring restoration to this hopeless place, to fulfill longings and the hope of deliverance from their enemies. But again, what the people of God were waiting for, like they're looking for this big thing, they were certain what the Messiah was going to do to overthrow Rome, to reestablish Israel as this world's superpower. It's going to be big. So their hopes were in this big thing, which had them looking for a big Messiah to show up in a big way and completely end it all, all the suffering, all the pain, to repair the breach. So they were waiting for something big, something that all nations would see, a big boom, a flash of light, a roar of thunder, a display of power, a blaze of fire, a conquering king riding a mighty war horse. But when what they waited for, what they hoped for, actually arrived, it was not a conquering king. It was a baby in a barn. (laughs) They would have been like, what? That's your answer, God? That's what you're sending to deliver us? It wasn't a flash of light. Instead, it was a flickering flame. And they probably thought, a flickering flame. Like, God, how's that going to do anything? When the hurricane force winds of this world begin to blow, how will that flickering flame make any difference at all? See, it wasn't a roar of thunder. It was a whisper of love. And some of them had to have thought a whisper of of love? How is that going to be heard over the mighty roar of mighty Rome? See, it wasn't a conquering king. It was a baby in a barn. So because what they were hoping in and looking for showed up in a way they didn't expect, most of them missed it, which I do all the time. Still, even though I know better, See, this is true in our stories, too. In our stories, God uses these really small, seemingly insignificant things, like like, like a baby born in a barn, not a bomb that we need to fix something or win something, but a baby. Not a bazooka, but a baby. Not a power over kingdom where we win, but a baby. He uses love. He uses kindness. That's his kingdom. And in this Advent story, God himself is the one who comes as a baby. It is God himself who is small, unremarkable, ordinary in Jesus. And because everyone else was looking and longing and hoping and waiting for the big thing, they miss the little thing present right there with them that if 
attended to and allowed to grow, if protected and nurtured, those little things become the big thing that we're all longing for. And see, that's how God did things back then. That's how he brought his kingdom upside down. We called it power under in the last series instead of power over. And that's what God is still doing today. That's how he still does it today. See, if we're always hoping for this big thing, that oh, I'm hoping for that way out there, guess what we can't tend to? If we're hoping for the big thing, we can't tend to the seemingly little thing that's right here in front of us. Makes it impossible for us to be present and hopeful in this moment, at this time, in this place, with these people. And rather than spending our life on or pinning our hopes on a story that is built on power and success and prosperity and achievement, what if, what if we believed Jesus? What if we built our story on him? What if we pinned our hopes on this story of Jesus? What if we abandoned the sinking ships that are sure to disappoint us, turning our hearts instead to hope in Jesus. See, I don't know what it is, what the thing is that you are hoping for. And maybe it's a wonderful thing. Maybe you're, you're, you're hoping for good health. Maybe you're hoping for a healing in your body. Maybe you're hoping for something really good to happen. But my question is, what are you putting your ultimate hope in, your foundational hope? What do you build your life on? And many of you have built your life, staked your life on hope in Jesus, and that's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. But even a lot of us Christians are putting our ultimate hope in something, like, ah, I'm hoping for this, this circumstance, this outcome, this situation. I mean, I had to confront myself with this whole deal this week in writing this message and repent of some things that I was scattered and missing, so I'm talking to myself this week. <laughs> um, and maybe for you, you're hoping in a marriage. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's health, maybe it's money, maybe it's success, maybe it's security, maybe it's popularity, maybe it's notoriety, maybe it's power, maybe it's relationship, which those things are, some of them are good. <laughs> um, but if that is your primary hope, if that's what you're spending your life's energy on, um, I got really bad news for you. Uh, it's going to let you down. <laughs> See, but Jesus has come as the hero of the story, and he will never let us down. I mean, just some of the bold claims that Jesus makes. He says things like, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In another place, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So will we believe him? Will we put our hopes in him? Because he has come for us in the story, and he will never let us down. i wrap up with this. The liturgical prayer of Advent is uh, Christ has come. Christ is coming, and Christ will come again. So the first one, Christ has come, that's Advent. We celebrate Christmas, and Christ is coming, 
And you go, what, huh? So what, what are we supposed to pretend like that he hasn't come yet? Like, no, no. <laughs> um, he is coming in this present moment right here, right now. Christ is coming. And then the third one, Christ will come again, which typically has in the past sent me off into the future. But let's stop and think of it in a different way. Let's look in a different way. Christ will come again and again and again and again over and over in your story and our stories to our world. He comes, he rescues, he renews, he restores again and again, and that is our hope. Like, he never abandons us in the story, and he never abandons us in our story. Uh, worship team, will you guys come? You know, I'm aware here that, that some of us have been so beaten down in our story that we can't imagine allowing our hearts to even stir up a willingness to hope again. Some of us might be thinking things like, it feels like it's just over for me. Like, this is the end of any kind of hope in my life. But I just want to tell you, if that's you, that's a lie. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Because it doesn't matter where your story is. Romans 8.28 tells us, hey, listen, we know. We know that in all things, God works them for the good of those who love him. So if it's not good, it's not the end, right? Like if it hasn't been worked to good yet, it's not the end. It's not the end. Can we trust and hope in that promise of God, that he will work it towards good? Maybe someone else here is tempted to believe uh, another lie of the enemy, that you've blown it again, and so the enemy's just whispering in your ear, this Jesus thing doesn't work for you. You keep blowing it and falling down over and over. You're too far gone this time. There is no hope for you. Hey, listen, please, please hear me. The truth is that you never fall too far for God to save you. You'll never get in so deep into the darkness that he can't rescue you. You will never fall so fast that he can't catch you. Colossians 1 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My friends, that is the story that Jesus offers us. That's the hope that Jesus offers us. Rescue and redemption and forgiveness and restoration. It's why he came. And he invites each one of us to live in his kingdom, to live in his story. So get your hopes up. Get your hopes up and follow Jesus in this way, his way of living and loving. Let's abandon our small, self-serving stories of striving and put our hopes in him. And that Advent prayer again, Christ has come. Christ is coming and Christ will come again, and again, and again, and again. No matter your storm, no matter your trial, Christ comes again and again. No matter your disappointment, he comes to meet you with healing, with forgiveness, with restoration, and this is our hope. And as we move toward another week of closer to Christmas, let's come Let's enter in this week to the hope that Jesus offers us in his story, in his way, 
and his kingdom this week because let's believe that Christ has come and Christ is coming and Christ will come again and again and again. This is our hope. Jesus, thank you that you are our hope. You are our salvation. We lean into you. Will you be with my brothers and sisters as we dare to trust and we dare to hope that you are who you say you are and that you offer what you say you offer.